I'm Angie Berkeley, And I'm Gina Brandolino. And we're welcoming you to a special Halloween episode of Behind the Scaffolding, a podcast where we talk to teachers about the hows and whys of what we do in the classroom. Now, normally, we're coming to you from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. But for this episode, we're coming to you from the dark and spooky environs of a fall campfire where we gathered with a few of our esteemed teacher friends to talk about teachers who haunt us. Yes, teachers who haunt us. And by haunt, we don't necessarily mean in a scary way, although in some cases we definitely do. What we mean is that what these teachers do and what they helped us experience as students ourselves have stuck with us in ways that won't leave us alone as teachers, whether we're emulating them or trying really hard to avoid becoming them. So this is a story episode, a sort of stories around the campfire episode, and it's a little different from our usual format. We kept it sort of raw and all-natural. You get all the authentic sounds of our camping experience, from the rowdy music of our friendly campsite neighbors Rob and Todd, to the plains crossing above, the gurgling of the river, and a lot more ums and ahs and big laughs from all of us. You'll hear some stories from our guests, Carol Tell and Ellen Muehlberger, and of course, stories from Angie and me too. So let's have a listen. I'm Carol Tell, and I'm a spy. <laughs> Just kidding. I teach for Sweetland Center for Writing and the Lloyd Scholars for Writing in the Arts. I'm Ellen Muehlberger, and I teach in the Department of Middle East Studies and the Department of History. So we're talking tonight around the fire about teachers who haunt us, either in good ways or bad ways. My teacher who haunts me in a way that I could never pull this off, and I don't think I would ever want to, but it was nonetheless very influential on me as a student, was my sophomore high school English teacher, Sister Marie Charles, who we affectionately and sort of not so affectionately referred to as Chuck. Yeah. Is this... <laughs> You know, everything you're imagining about a very old nun in a Catholic all-girls high school taught American literature, and she was very strict. I don't ever remember her smiling, and she had this general attitude towards us of disgust at how little we knew and how poorly we did seemingly everything. And I remember early in the year her going on this long rant to all of us about how terrible we were and calling us stupid and I remember getting so angry and it made me read the things that we had to read so fiercely and it was the first time I ever remember annotating anything and really trying to read stuff that I didn't really understand because it was old old sort of American literature stuff that I didn't quite get that was hard when you're a teenager and you're reading it for the first time you had to really read every line every word to understand what was even being said and I don't know why she I don't know why I cared so much what she thought but obviously I did because then when it came time for class and we were talking about these things we had read I made sure to be able to raise my hand and answer every single question she asked because I hated so much that she was calling us stupid. So I guess it was kind of a good thing for me, but I can't ever imagine 
acting that way towards any students of my own because it was pretty terrible. So, but I still think about it. Yeah. Should I do the mean one or the nice one first? Well, we just had a mean one. Yeah, so do, do the nice do one. Nice okay. So, a teacher who haunts me in the best possible way, and the way that you want a ghost to be hanging out with you all the time, keeping you company, is my American Lit teacher, actually. Mm-hmm. Randy Chilton from college. And I went to a very small college, so I probably had him like four or five times over the course of my college career. And he was, he was a great teacher, and I still keep in touch with him. Um, and maybe he'll even listen to this episode. I remember we were studying the wasteland, and the wasteland is a really enigmatic poem. You know, you there's an... There's not a lot of straight through line. It's not a straight through line sort of poem. And I remember it was our last day on the wasteland and we were all really deep in it, my whole class. And we were firing these questions uh, at Randy about, well, but what about this part? And what about the woman in the bar? And why, you know, what's going on with the... um, the tarot card reader and you know just like sort of nickel and diming him in the way that you do Mm -hmm. about a text that you just really want to understand every last corner of but you know that that would hurt the text now you know that but at the time I didn't know that and I wanted to just understand every every square inch of the wasteland and I remember Randy putting up he was in front of the class and he put up his hands uh like uh like he was in a stick up and he said look guys I've told you everything I I know about this poem I can't explain any more of it to you I I just don't know the answer to your questions and I thought it was such an elegant moment of surrender to a poem Mm -hmm. I marked it at the at the moment as a sign that poems could be bigger and smarter than people And it made me respect him that he was willing to let this poem go somehow untamed. Like that the poem could be bigger and stronger than him and all of us. And I try to remember that. I don't always have to know every square inch of a text with my own classes. And if I don't, that makes me look better, like less of a jerk, than if I pretended to know every inch of it. Randy Chilton. Randy Chilton. Randy, Randy Chilton. Chilton. Nice. All right. That was nice. So, like, when you think about teachers who haunted you in high school, like, they all were, like, nine out of ten of them were terrible, right? In their own unique, beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, t- awful. And I always wondered why anyone would become a teacher because <laughs> because they were, they were all so strange and awful yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And I had the, like a particularly bad one um, for science, chemistry. And I didn't like chemistry, so of course it was not sort of something I'd be interested in much anyway, but... Um, 
so this guy he was he he was like 110 years old <laughs> and he was mean and sort of um brusque and kind of uninspiring at best but there was this weird moment and it was kind of at a point where you know things were happening in the world in terms of like the cold war was ending and like you know walls were coming not quite coming down but we were moving that way and he started talking about world war Two and dropping the atom bomb on japan which in my little circle was like a terrible terrible thing and like nuclear war was terrible and all of that stuff we were just starting to like get away from that and he gave this passionate like 20 minute lecture to us about how dropping the bomb on the Japanese people was the best thing that had ever happened and it was so important and we didn't understand and on the one hand I disagreed with him but on the other hand it was a moment where I thought because he was getting so riled up, right? He was like practically in tears and so angry. And I was like, for the first time, I thought this job actually matters to him. Like he actually cares about this stuff. And so as bad an experience as it was, it made me realize like these teachers actually do invest something in what they're doing. And, um, you know, are sort of human (laughs) in their own way um so that's my sort of bad teacher story that's totally haunting yeah Yeah. oh he was yeah he was he was like so many more americans would have died um it was his generation yeah it was his generation and Mm -hmm. he was like this was the only thing we could do and it was the best thing and even for the Japanese it was the best thing because <laughs> God who knows what would have happened after that we would have been fighting forever and you don't understand what this is all about and you know for us at the time it was like nuclear power was this big huge scary awful thing that we needed to get rid of and um, yeah it was kind of haunting my story is about high school too and it's about oh gosh I don't even know what it's about but it's about a teacher who knew where he was in the system and took it out on a student so nice preview yeah I went to a high school that was rural and that um, had about 800 students total and had kind of a limited curriculum so like uh, by the time I was a junior I had taken essentially the, the most advanced chemistry class I could take. I'd taken the most advanced calculus class. I could t- I'd taken the most advanced physics class I could take. So when I got to my senior year, there wasn't a lot left to take. And same school, um, there was a teacher who was the football coach. 
and we had been pretty successful in football. He'd been hired in to be the football coach. He also taught, but um, I think he taught a different load than most other people, so he didn't teach the whole six hours, and he taught the same, I think, two preps over the course of like the four or six hours or whatever, mm-hmm. one of which was global geography, which was literally that, like learning where things were on the map. Yeah. And I didn't, like, I... There was also some requirement that you had to take one of his classes. I can't remember exactly how it worked out that I ended up in his class my senior year. But also, my senior year, I was involved in like 15,000 things. And when I needed to get called out of class to do something, people would look at my schedule and be like, oh, she's in global geography. Probably not a whole lot's going to happen in that class, so let's call her out of global geography. (laughs) Which, you know, happened, right? Like, And like for legit reasons, like... People were saying, okay, Ellen should come down to the library to do this, or Ellen needs to come down to the office to do this, and it was always in this teacher's class. And uh, it was a fall term, and about halfway through the term, I noticed a series of, like, marks on the board, down in the corner of the board, and later I worked out that it was, like, a a date. It was, like, 10, there's another very, very big, um, it was on your jacket. Is it gone? No. There you go. Okay, sorry. Uh, later, I worked out it was like 10, 11, 9, 0 or something like that. But it looked like a weird series of like chicken scratch. Or it, it wasn't immediately recognizable to me as a date. There's this little box down in the corner of the board. And it stayed down in the corner of the board the entire term. And there were like little marks there. And it wasn't until like second to last week of the term that I figured out that what he had been doing was marking on the board after I left the room every single time I got called out of class. So it was him and the rest of the class marking me leaving his class. And at the time, I was just like, why would you do that? But looking back, I realized that's a person who could not admit that his class was the one that I was going to get pulled out of and instead needed to make it about me being somehow fancy or... Too good for for his class or whatever. And I mean that, you know, you can imagine how that works in a rural school with the football coach versus a woman, right? Um, But I look back and I'm like, that's a guy who knew exactly what all the other teachers thought of him. And especially what, like, the office thought of him or the band director thought of him. Because they all picked his class to pull me out of. And then he made it about me instead of about them and his place in the whole system. Maybe that's not the most haunting story, but what I, a jerk. I still yeah. think back about that, and I'm like, wow, that was just really... And once I figured out what was happening, and that everybody else in the class knew that that's what that was, and that he, I learned, later learned, had given, like, like, the first time he made the little, like, you know, in October sometime, the first time he made the little number thing, he gave a little speech to the class about me getting pulled out, and then started this record where everybody else knew what was going on, and I didn't. I was like, ugh. Yeah, oh, so gross. It's really Something to avoid as a teacher. Yeah. Because your place in the structure has nothing to do with the students that come into your classroom. It has everything to do with you. Right. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. He won a lot of football games, though. Mm. Well, then. <laughs> <laughs> that is the important thing. Yeah. You're not lying. <sighs> okay. So this is about a teacher who haunts me in a good way. And I could say something similar about all the teachers I had in college because I went to a a part of Johns Hopkins that was for, it was called then the School of Continuing Studies. 
And so it was for people who were working and going to school at night. So I took, I think, every class that he ever offered. And he offered classes on all kinds of things. He was trained as a medievalist. But classes I took with him included religion in the arts, Florence and the Renaissance, the Bible as literature, nature, writing. Just all, He just taught whatever he thought was cool, I think. Mm-hmm. And he always made it seem like he was so interested and passionate about whatever it was. And the classes that I, he was this, this big, tall guy. He was from Baltimore. He had long hair that, that he would sometimes wear like a, like a woven headband around his head. Like he had this kind of like hippie look going, you know, and he's just this sort of kind, really sort of engaged, interested guy who would just sit there. Basically every class was the same. He'd just kind of sit there and talk about these things we had read, you know, and, and people would, would chime in or not, you know, but he was just up there doing his thing. And the, the hallmark of all of his classes was that you had to write a response paper to what you read every week. And we all did this. And it was the first time I ever had to write that much. And he would write responses back to us on our response papers. And I remember that. And he, he's who I think about when I write on students' papers now. Because he gave me this sense. He was my audience. I mean, and he quickly became the person that I was always writing to whenever I wrote anything in school and it it changed how I wrote and it helped me grow as a writer and I'm so grateful to him and I still I still remember when I was it was like right after grad school and after I was finished maybe a year after I finished and I found a bunch of my old papers that I had written that I had saved that he had written on and I looked not just at what he wrote, because he didn't always write these incredibly profound things. He didn't always write a whole lot, but I could tell that he was reading it. I could really tell that he was reading it. And I looked at what I wrote and I remembered who I was at that time. And I just thought, I want, like, I want to write like that again, you know? I mean, and it was just incredible. And so like, if I can be that kind of reader, then I would be happy as a teacher. Uh, that was George Shepper. George. George. Here's George. So now we're in for a spooky tale. Ooh. Spooky. A tale of misery and despair. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. A tale like none other. I have to set the, the stage a little bit for this one. I uh, went to a very small um, college to get my bachelor's degree. And I knew I wanted to go to grad school, um, but and my teachers helped me a lot to get into grad school. But I wasn't very competitive because how small my school was, and I didn't get into a lot of graduate programs. I did get into one. Um, um, I got into a graduate program at University of Illinois um, Circle Campus, which was close enough to my house that it was easy for me to just uh, stay living at home and commute to grad school. Um, and that was good for me because I, having not gotten into very many programs, I was feeling a little bit self-conscious, wasn't, I wasn't very sure of myself, and, and was nervous to go to grad school. So I went and I took three courses. Um, 
And one of those courses was, I don't remember the exact title of the course, but it was a course where we read uh, the great the great books, as oh, they call yeah. them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we read modern adaptations of the great books. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. And uh, I can't remember if this was a required course or exactly why, why I took it, but I did. And I had a teacher for this course called John Huntington. And... There were a lot of things that I noticed about myself that contrasted me with the other students from the second that I started in that program. And one of them was that I commuted from the suburbs and all of my classmates lived in the city. Um, Some of them had uh, graduate um, assistantships of one kind or another. I I didn't have them. they dressed differently than me. They they had different hair. They they had uh, different ways of speaking. I didn't really have language to understand this at the time, but I was the first generation student in that class, and this was before we even used that language in any sort of um, regular way. I if I don't think if I had said that at the time, anybody would know what it meant. This was in 1994. But this was what was happening, and I, I couldn't articulate what was happening that made me so different, but I knew that I was different. And uh, I went to the class one day, and I was, um, you know, sitting, getting all my books out, and the, the teacher, Professor Huntington, had come in, and he said to the students sitting in the front of the class, I was sort of sitting in the middle of the class, and he said, you know, I just finished this book the bell curve and it's really a a great read does anybody know this book i mean it's really just the the author makes the argument that if you aren't a person who grew up around intellectuals if you're a person with a working class background you you don't really belong in a university because you were never really cared you were never really taught to care about learning you you were taught to care about other kinds of things and, I, and it hit me in the face with a, a certainty that I had never really felt before. Oh, God, I don't belong here. Oh, God. And at the time, I had a job in a kitchen. I loved my job in this kitchen. I worked with the best older people, um, an older man named Quinn, um, an older woman named Betty, who I actually, all these years later, still uh, write back and forth with pretty regularly. Um, I respected them. I loved them. They had a sense of vocation. They cared about what they did. They had a fun time. We would always turn the radio up and and dance to the radio while we were um, cooking and and doing dishes. And I just was so proud and happy to be a part of that workplace with them. And at the time, I had uh, burns all up and down my arms from the pizza oven uh, because you would reach in the pizza, pizza oven and burn yourself. And I remember pulling my sleeves down at that moment because I thought, I, I know who I look like in this situation and I don't want to exacerbate how bad I look. And, and I thought, if, if I have to pick, I want to I hang out with those people in the kitchen. I don't want to be in this room. I don't, I don't belong in this room. And I finished that semester of grad school and I dropped out. I eventually went back. But it, it's a real violence to a student 
to say that kind of offhanded remark in front of a classroom. And we all know this, right? He should have known better, even in 1994. But for some reason, he felt safe saying that kind of thing in front of that classroom. And it really altered the course of my life, every aspect of my life, in ways that I'm kind of grateful for now. But I don't think I'll ever get over the feeling of being an imposter that I gained at that moment in his class. And every time I tell people this, they say, did you ever write to him and tell him? He's probably dead. Like, I'd be such a crappy advocate if not for that. No, it's true. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Or, like, or, yeah, and that's the whole point of this, like, that haunting yeah. informs how you behave in the classroom. Haunting follows you around. Yeah. All right, Carol. All right. <laughs> so when I was in eighth grade, I had to take math, of course. And I had a math teacher named Mr. Buchanan. And I wasn't good at math. And I was somehow forced into this accelerated math. And I was never good at it. And I always felt stupid in the class and all of that. So, um, and I really, honestly, I didn't belong in this track of math. And, yeah. So, and he was just a... A nice, funny, charismatic, good teacher. And I was taking a test in the middle of the semester, and I just, like, I couldn't do it. I was just, like, number one, I didn't know what I was doing. Number two, I was sort of having a panic attack because I didn't know what I was doing. And number three, I wasn't used to that because I was always a good student. And I didn't understand, like, how I could not understand something that other people did. And so I was all, like, sitting there having this kind of existential crisis in eighth grade math with this, you know, exam in front of me. And Mr. Buchanan came over to me, and he saw that I was, something was going on, and he, 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 he sort of said, you know, are you okay? And I was like, um, you know, uh, I'm okay, I think. And he, he did something that I don't know if you could even do now. But he, like, he touched my shoulder and sort of squeezed it as if to say, it's okay. No matter what this exam does or says, it's okay. And it, it like, in terms of haunting, I feel like, Part of our job as as teachers is also to offer that like squeeze of support on the shoulder to say no matter what happens it's going to be it's okay for you to feel what you're feeling and if you don't succeed it's okay so anyway I always think about that and like thank you Mr. Buchanan I don't even know what your first name was but um, you were just really lovely at it in a class that I was, you know, struggling. Mr. In. Buchanan. Mr. Buchanan. Yeah. He's a good guy. I don't know if I have another one, but I'll try. But I would say, like, it, we can we can talk about little 
little moments too because I have lots of little moments that I remember from teachers that I don't even know what they meant to me exactly yeah. Yeah. but they've stuck with me yeah. so I feel like they must mean something I have this one moment that I remember. This was also from college. I had this teacher who I also, I took all of my teachers in college for multiple classes because they were all great. And this teacher, I was taking her for a World War II class. She was a history. I think all of her classes were history classes. And she had brought in a Holocaust survivor to talk to us. And I remember she, we were in the classroom and she had to go to the office or something to, to meet her and find her and tell her where the classroom was. And she was, she was a short woman. She was shorter than me. And she, she always dressed nicely, like in suit type things or whatever. But she was just, she didn't have her suit jacket on. And I remember her saying, before she went to meet this woman who was going to come and talk to our class, Oh, I have to, I have to put my suit jacket on so I look like an adult. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then she rushed out, you know, and I, I mean, she always looked professional and like an adult to me, but, um. That's always stuck with me. I can totally sympathize. Yeah. I spend 90% of my life worrying if I'm looking like an adult. Oh, I have to look like an adult. (laughs) Ellen, you got anything? Uh, Let's think. I don't know if this is a good story or not. So, like, Mm -hmm. we'll just see. You know, it's all editable. It's true. This is kind of like Mr. Buchanan, actually. This is Mr. Zimmerman. I do not know his first name. Um, What is with you guys? You know, it was seventh grade. Yeah, These people didn't have first names, right? Come on. So, Mr. Zimmerman taught, like, natural science, I think was the title of the course. It was seventh grade. And um, it came, I think you took it after you took health. So, you, like, rotated through, like, health science. Like, here's about the body and, like, organic stuff. And then there was biology. And then you took natural science. So, this was, like, the rocks and physics kind of seventh grade science class. <clears throat> and I remember I always love I love still to this day I love the beginning of the school year new school supplies new pencil like the smell of the air in the beginning of September like it just it it strikes me in a place that I can't describe so it's the beginning of that term and I'm in Mr. Zimmerman's class and he hands out these brand new textbooks like you know like in middle school and elementary school you get a textbook and you like look in the front and 15 people have used it before you because they all sign it these were brand new and I still remember the cover it was like a picture that was kind of like it was maroon and black and purple and it was sort of like a galaxy almost or maybe a it looked like either a galaxy or like a, a thundercloud with like lightning in it it was very cool so I was enamored of the textbook, and it smelled good like new textbooks do. Um, and I took it home, and I feel like it might have either been around Labor Day, or it might have been uh, where I went to high school and middle school was pretty rural, so like we got fair day off. Like the opening day of the county fair was a half day of school for us, but if you were showing something, like a you know if you were showing a cow or if you were showing you know, for 4-H or whatever, you got the whole day off. So, fair day always fell on a Tuesday, so there was like this break in the week. And sometime in that first part of September, either around the Labor Day weekend or around fair day or maybe around both, I took that textbook home, which we were going to use for the rest of the term, and I sat down and I did all of the exercises in the textbook. All of them. And I came (laughs) back to school with them all written out. Like, I read... I read every single chapter. I did the exercises at the end of every single chapter. I wrote them out very neatly on a piece of, like, notebook paper. 
And I came back to school sometime in the middle of September and went to Mr. Zimmerman's class and was like, okay, so I just want to show you. And I like handed him this stack of paper and God bless him. He had a little, like he had one of those lab equipped kind of things. So our tables were little lab tables. And then he had a lab table that had like a sink and like a, a burner or a gas hookup or whatever. And then his little place where he like sat and graded papers when we were, you know, sat there when we were taking a test was sort of lower. And he had one of those um, things that has like three prongs on it that you put file folders in. And he just got a little manila folder out of his desk and put it in the file area and then put all my papers in the file area. And he's like, I'm just going to keep these right here. And when we get to that part of the textbook, I'll just take your exercise out and that'll be you turning it in. And I'm like, okay. And then he said, so what are you going to do the rest of the time? And I said, I don't know. And he said, okay, well, think about that. And then he had, like, other things for me to do that whole time that were, like, additional things that matched the little chapter of the textbook that we were on, but that weren't asking me to go back and do the exercises that I had just sat down and done. And, like, that, he didn't have to do that. You know, he had six hours worth of classes and six hours worth of students in his classes. Um, but I think he was just like, oh, here's somebody she's gone as far as the textbook will take her well what else are we going to do okay I've got 15 ideas about what else we're going to do and he didn't treat it like it was weird and he didn't treat it like it was amazing or awesome he was just like very practical about it and that I think like he met me where I was Mm -hmm. and just gave me the next thing and I feel like the students that come into my classes Sometimes they are extremely advanced, and sometimes they're not advanced at all. But your whole job is to just give them the next thing, mm-hmm. whatever that happens to be. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do in a class of, like, 40 people when you're all supposed to be following the same syllabus. But mm-hmm. it's possible if you just stop and think, where are they? What's the next thing that they need to do? So to Mr. Zimmerman. Mr. Zimmerman. I got, I got just a brief one. This is just a, a commercial. Okay. I don't know what happened to me. But I think I was in second grade. And I went to school in grade school and this sort of big cavernous, like took up a whole block, uh, three-story building, uh, K through five. And like only fifth grade was on the third floor. I don't know how this worked out. Don't ask me. But I'd never been on the third floor, but I got stung by a bee. And my teacher sent me upstairs to the third floor where the fifth grader, uh, the fifth grader classrooms were, but also where the teacher's lounge was, um, to get an ice pack for my bee sting. And uh, I'd never been to the third floor, and I, you know, was everybody was in class, so I was scared walking around this big cavernous building, my my little second grade body knocking around the, the stairwell. And uh, I walked up and, and went into the teacher's lounge, and and one of the fifth grade teachers was in there, Mrs. Lindsay. She was slightly older. She had sort of a beehive kind of hairdo. She was she was always a little mean, so I was kind of terrified of her. And and I sort of squeaked out that I had been bit by a bee and that I was there because my teacher told me to get an ice pack. And she went into the teacher's lounge free, uh, fridge freezer and... Uh, got some ice and, and put it in a little pack for me and, and handed it to me. And uh, her hand touched me and she said, uh, here you go, that's cold, huh? 
cold hands, warm heart. <laughs> and it just scared the hell out of me. <laughs> and then I, I ran down the stairs and went back to my class. <laughs> okay, that's it for this haunting episode of Behind the Scaffolding. Thanks so much to Carol and Ellen for hanging with us and sharing their stories around the campfire. Tune in next month for the inaugural episode in our series on everyone's favorite, greeting! Boom! Thanks also to Phil Cameron for his audio expertise and advice, to the Language Resource Center for loaning us their recording studio, to the CRLT Lecturers Professional Development Fund, and to you for listening. And also, let's not forget to Rob and Todd, our campsite neighbors, for looking out for our stuff and opening our beers. Look for a new episode next month.